1: This is an RNZ podcast.
2: Hello, I'm Richard Scott, and welcome to the Podcast Hour. Each week, I listen to hours and hours of great audio storytelling from around the world, drawn from the 706,000 podcasts out there today, and share all the best of what I hear with you. Coming up, true crime parody, This Sounds Serious, and a hostage crisis with an inexperienced negotiator.
0: What I need you to do is to answer in just yes or no answers from now on, okay? Do you understand? Yes. Okay. How close are you standing to Jimmy right now?
2: No. Extremities takes you to the world's most isolated places. Get off the longboat, take a few steps forward, and you have arrived. You've just spent six
3: days and $4,089 US traveling from the UK to the UK.
2: You have arrived in Pitcairn Island. Parental as Anything's a parenting show from Australia grappling with the challenges of screen time. Like what happens when your tech savvy four year old changes your contact details while you're in the loo.
4: And the name that he had selected that he felt was appropriate um, was Stinky Bum Bum. Uh, rather humiliating when you reply to an email from a journalist about kids and screen time and your profile comes up as Stinky Bum Bum. <laughs>
2: And before we go, a listener recommendation in the Micho mission. Len and Vince watch and review every black film ever made, unearthing some underappreciated gems. Man, there's a scene in this movie, man.
5: When everybody gets, I have never seen a scene that made me so hungry. Yeah. That made me just want to. I want. Can I have some? Where's my plate? Yeah. Because, because it... it looks so good. Yeah.
2: The Misho Mission, and whenever you hear something good, then let me know about it. Pods at rnz.co.nz is the email address. And on Twitter, we're at rnzpodcasthour. <laughs> this Sounds Serious is a true crime parody. A comedy fiction show sending up the genre and its conventions in a similar vein to The Onions, A Very Fatal Murder, and the Netflix series American Vandal. The plot revolves around the host Gwen Radford's fascination with listening in on 911 calls as the starting point of stories to cover. In Missing Melissa, Gwen finds herself on the trail of America's most missing person. Melissa Turner is a 28-year-old from Idaho who goes AWOL so often she's earned the nickname Melissing. Every other time it's happened she's shown up unharmed, but with Melissa going walkabout yet again, there are fears that this time something might actually have happened to her. And new information comes to light when an armed man walks into a bank claiming that Melissa has been killed by the town's mayor and demanding to speak to the local pizzeria operator, Papa Don.
6: Tomday, Oregon is a city of roughly 1,600 people about a five-hour drive southeast from Portland on Highway 26. At 1242 p.m. on June 8, 2017, 30-year-old Jimmy Klein entered the first Union Bank in Tomday, Oregon, brandishing a 357 Magnum. After declaring he was robbing the bank, he pulled out his cell phone and dialed emergency services.
4: 911, what's your emergency? Hi,
7: hi, hi. this is uh, Jimmy Klein, and I have hostages, and I have demand, and I'm robbing the bank too. Everyone be quiet. Okay. okay. I'm robbing this place.
0: I was the only officer on duty that day, and when I got the call that the bank was being robbed, yeah, I 100% knew who was doing it.
6: That's Reserve Officer Jacob Phillips of the Tom Day Police. He was the first to respond to the robbery.
0: What I didn't know was that it was going to turn into the longest bank robbery in Oregon history. Maybe even the country's history. I mean, bank robberies are supposed to be kind of a quick thing, so I guess not a lot of people are trying to break that record, but, you know, we'll take what we can get here.
6: 36 hours, 21 minutes, and 8 seconds. That's how long the bank robbery lasted. Although there wasn't any robbery to speak of. All of it was recorded by nine-one-one dispatch, and I listened to every last confusing second of it.
7: down? Everyone's down, okay? I'm serious. Don't think for a second that I won't think about using this thing. Do you
0: want me to get out of my wheelchair?
7: I guess you have to, but duck your head or something like that, okay? Ma'am? Ma'am? Okay, we lost one, and... ah, just Okay, sir, can you go lock that door, please? And not... You're... Okay, you're
8: leaving. Ah, Honestly, when he came in hollering that the mayor killed his girlfriend, I thought... Something is not right.
6: Linda Siegler is a bank teller at First Union. She was working the day of the incident.
8: Jimmy doesn't have a girlfriend. Jimmy's never had a girlfriend. We all know this. It doesn't make any sense at all, I thought. Anyways, I wasn't scared at all. (sighs) Because he does this all the time. Once every six months or so, he stages some sort of hostage situation.
6: Yes, you heard that right. Jimmy had a history of holding people hostage. Not robberies, not assaults, just holding people hostage.
9: He's held the library hostage, post office hostage. He held the ice cream hostage.
6: That's Tom Day Police Chief Paul Brand.
9: But he never made any demands, no. Nope. The whole point in holding people hostage is that you make demands and refuse to let people go until your demands are met. In the past, he would just hold out for about 10 minutes or so, and then everybody would just get to go home.
2: Not this time, though. About 10 hours in, police negotiator Jacob Phillips has exchanged some of the hostages for pizza. And he could be poised to make another major breakthrough. Why wasn't a real hostage negotiator called? Why was
6: an inexperienced reserve officer placed in charge of the situation?
9: The, the reason we don't have a full time hostage negotiator is because Jimmy is the only person who ever takes hostages. They also don't have a symphony orchestra. You see what I'm getting at here, right? We're a town of 1600 people.
0: We don't have a lot of things. We didn't bring a negotiator down from Portland because we just thought it would be over soon. Like it it's Jimmy. Like if you if you know Jimmy, like this we just thought it would end but it pretty soon it was like 8 hours into it and then it was like 10 hours and then 14 hours and and then getting a negotiator would just eat up so much more time so I don't know. It hindsight's 2020, I guess.
6: At around the 10-hour mark, Jimmy began making requests for certain comforts, both for him and the hostages.
0: Jimmy asked for magazines for everybody inside, and then I thought about how easily he gave up two hostages for the pizza. So this, like, little plan started kind of forming in my head. Ah, magazines, magazines, yeah, uh, okay, Jimmy, yeah, we can do that. Um, it'll cost you another hostage, though, okay, so... Um, You send somebody out, and we'll send you in some great magazines. How does that sound?
7: Yeah, okay, let's do that. Um, Let's see, I want uh, Thrasher, Harper's, and an Us Weekly. You know, something with uh, perfume samples.
6: At hour 14, that's 2 a.m., Jimmy said that he and the hostages would like to watch a movie.
0: We're going to send in a couple laptops with movies on them if you give us three more hostages, Jimmy, okay?
7: That seems
9: fair. It was like he was using us as currency.
6: That's hostage Christopher Gray. He was spending us, and we were all just looking at
7: each
9: other, thinking he'd release all of us eventually, and the thing would be over.
6: At the 20-hour mark, Jimmy asked Officer Phillips to send in some breakfast.
7: Um, hey, uh, how many hostages will it cost me to get uh, some donuts? Oh,
0: I don't know, Jimmy, at least two.
6: Okay, that's fair. As the 24-hour mark approached, Jimmy was left with just two hostages musician Christopher Gray, and bank teller Linda Siegler.
8: We were pretty sure we'd be leaving soon.
6: But that's when Officer Phillips made a small mistake.
0: He wanted some pillows for everybody, and I accidentally tipped my hand a bit. Jimmy, if you want pillows, you're going to have to send us your last two hostages, okay?
7: Last? What? Oh, wait. Oh, shit. No, 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 no. Okay, nobody else is leaving.
6: Yeah,
0: I still kick myself about
7: that.
6: And now about 24 hours into the ordeal with Jimmy down to his last two hostages, news outlets began to show up on the scene.
0: Ah, oh, turned into a real circus after that. There was helicopters and everything.
2: It has turned into a very long day here in Tom
3: Day, as the hostage situation at the First Union... TV
6: stations from Portland, Eugene, and even Boise began broadcasting from a small camp set up in the parking lot. It's
2: just past 5 p.m. here in Tom Day, and this ordeal has lasted almost 29 hours. As the
6: evening stretched on past 8 p.m., Jimmy would not back down from any of his demands. He was still asking to speak to Papa Don. But Reserve Officer Phillips, who was still the lead negotiator, would not allow it.
7: I'm just tired, and I want this to be over, so let me talk to Papa Don, okay? He'll believe me. He'll believe that the mayor killed my girlfriend.
0: Jimmy, why do you keep calling her the mayor? We all know she's your mother.
6: You heard right. The mayor of Tom Day, the woman Jimmy is accusing of murder, is his own mother, Rhoda Day. And 32 hours into the hostage situation, she is nowhere to be found.
9: Once I was reached out at the lake, I, of course, tried to get the mirror on the horn. But you know, my phone, well, it fell in the lake. And you want to talk about a fiasco. Like, how come these phones aren't waterproof? So then, you know, I I had to go to the general store, buy a bag of rice, bury my phone in it. My wife said, why don't you just use my phone? But... Just the principle of it. It's an expensive phone. It should be waterproof, it should float. Oh, we
0: we did try to call the mayor, but she was out of the office on some official business.
6: When we come back, the conclusion of the longest hostage situation in Oregon history. It's now been a full 32 hours since Jimmy Klein walked into the First Union Bank in Tom Day, Oregon and began taking hostages and making demands to police. At this point, around 8.30 p.m. on Friday, June 9th, 2017, Jimmy seems to have reached a breaking point.
7: You know what? I just, I can't talk to this guy anymore, okay? Hey, you? Yes, you. You talk to him.
6: Right now, Jimmy is refusing to speak to police negotiator Phillips, and has handed the phone over to one of his two remaining hostages, bank teller Linda Siegler.
8: He looked really freaky. Honestly, his eyes were all crazy. He shrugged his shoulders, and then he just gave me the phone. Anyone? Papa Don. Uh, he says he doesn't want to talk until you let him speak to Papa Don.
0: Okay. Hi. Who's this?
8: Oh, hi. Um, it's Linda Siegler.
0: Hi, Linda. Um, this is Reserve Officer Phillips talking to you. Um, just do me you tell him that we will not give in to his demands.
8: Um, he says uh, that he will not give in to your demands.
0: Okay, what's he saying?
8: Um, well, he's kind of putting his hands up in a, well, what do you want me to do about it? Kind of, Kind of gesture. It was so weird. I thought he didn't want to talk to the police, but I guess he just didn't want to talk to anyone. So he ended up just doing charades.
0: Okay, tell him that we can talk when he lets the hostages go.
8: Uh, he says we can talk, like the, the two of you can talk, when you let the hostages go, when you when you let us go. Okay, um, now he's, he's closed his eyes and is shaking his head. It's so hard to relay information between two different people who are both using you as like a bargaining chip.
0: Okay, well you tell him to stop being such a goddamn baby, okay?
8: I will say no such
0: thing. Linda, I need you to say that, all right? I'm the negotiator, you're the conduit. Please just cooperate. Say that. Oh my
8: god. Um, he says stop being such a baby. That
0: is not what I said. Say what I said. He
8: says stop being such a gd baby. Linda, this isn't going to work if you don't cooperate,
0: all right? I need you to do exactly what I say. Say what I said.
7: Goddamn baby! Goddamn baby! Okay? Are you happy?
0: Also, How do you negotiate with someone through their hostages? That wasn't in my training. That's not in anybody's training. I didn't even have any training. I I shouldn't have been doing that. Now say this, Jimmy, let just one go.
7: Jimmy, let just one go.
0: How does that sound, pal?
7: How does that sound, pal?
0: Let just one of the hostages go.
7: Let just one of the hostages go.
0: And maybe we can get Papa Don on the phone.
7: And we can get Papa Don on the phone. Maybe, maybe we can get Papa Don on the phone, for Christ's sake. Maybe, maybe we can get uh, Papa Don on the phone, for Christ's sake. (sighs) Okay. He's waving a finger, like, no, 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 not gonna happen.
0: (sighs) Do you think you and Christopher can run to the side
7: door from where you are? Do you think you and Christopher can run No, the- No, 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 don't say that,
6: stop it. Remember, it has been over 32 hours at this point, and nobody has slept. That may explain the level of frustration from all sides during this game of broken telephone.
0: All right, Linda, okay. I'm sorry. I know this is, this is stressful, but um, what I need you to do is to answer in just yes or no answers from now on, okay? Do you understand? Yes. Okay. How close are you standing to Jimmy right now?
8: No.
6: Finally, after 35 hours of this, Officer Phillips agreed to allow Jimmy to speak to Papa Don.
2: Some of this sounds serious and its latest season called Missing Melissa. And if you want to listen to more and subscribe, you can find it on CastBox or wherever you get your podcasts. More details at rnz.co.nz forward slash podcast hour now. And thanks to Chris Kelly for helping me share that with you. With 50 people, 75 buildings and an occasionally dark past... Pitcairn Island's about as isolated as it's possible to get on Earth. 5,500 kilometres from New Zealand, just about slap bang in the middle of the South Pacific Ocean. A new show called Extremities finds out what it's like to live in some of Earth's most remote and extreme settlements. And Pitcairn, this tiny British overseas territory with close ties to New Zealand, is the show's first stop. It's not an easy place to get to. Exit the Palace of Westminster, walk across
3: New Palace Yard, enter Westminster Station, tap on, and take the District Line 4 stops to South Kensington. Transfer onto the Piccadilly Line to Heathrow Terminal 4. After 14 stops, mind the gap, get off, watch for car clash, check in, head through security, and turn right. There's a WH Smith or a Boots just there where you should buy some snacks. It's going to be a long trip. Just make sure you don't miss your flight. If you miss your flight, you're going to arrive a week late. Please don't miss your flight. Board your flight. On time.
2: It's Air France flight 15. This is what the first three and a half
3: minutes of the show sounds like. After 11 sleepless hours, your plane will touch down at LAX.
2: Get off, go through customs, pick up your bag, and check it right back in.
3: It's weird. As
2: the host Sam Denby outlines the hideous six-day journey. Wake up
3: seven hours later, just before landing at Fa'a International Airport in Tahiti at 6:15 a.m. That takes you from the UK to Pitcairn. After three hours and 45 minutes flying east in the small turboprop, land in Tōtajēji, still French Polynesia. Grab the ferry to Mangareva. The only thing on Tochajeji is the airport itself. Meet the crew of the MV Bravo Supporter. They'll take you to the boat. Find
2: your berks, Until finally,
3: shower, finally, as you, you glimpse land. The you'll first see these steep cliffs and rocky coast on the west end of the island. But as the boat rounds the landmass, you'll spot a few buildings. You might even see some people waving too. Very soon, the boat will drop anchor just outside the small harbor. Gather your luggage, get your passport stamped, board the longboat, and try to stay dry on the rough but quick ride in. Get off the longboat, take a few steps forward, and you have arrived. You've just spent six days and 4089 US dollars traveling from the UK to the UK. You have arrived in Pitcairn Island. And here's what you find when you get there. It's at about this time in the show when you should, if you haven't already, fire up your mapping app of choice and learn exactly where Pitcairn Island is. You'll see that it's just about as far from South America as it is from New Zealand, and just about as far from Hawaii as it is from Antarctica. It is about as perfectly in the middle of the South Pacific Ocean an island can be. The middle of the world's largest ocean. Pitcairn is roughly two miles wide and one mile tall that's 3.5 by 1.5 kilometers. There is no airport on Pitcairn, and there is no airport near Pitcairn. The only way in without your own boat is that 32-hour ride from Mangareva. Mangareva, in fact, is the closest inhabited place to Pitcairn, even though it is over 300 miles or 500 kilometers away. The closest real city, though, is Auckland, New Zealand, which is over 3,000 miles or 5,000 kilometers away. For context, that means that when you're on Pitcairn, the closest truly developed place is as far as Boston is from London, as far as London is from Dubai, as far as Dubai is from Bangkok, as far as Bangkok is from Perth, and as far as Perth is from Auckland. You'll understand by now, Pitcairn is well and truly isolated. But there's only one number that you absolutely need to remember. This one number gives context to the whole rest of the story. It's 50. Five, zero that's how many people live on Pitcairn Island. This island, this community, this bit of Britain on the other side of the world could all fit into a single bus. Those 50 people live there, on this solitary speck of land in the South Pacific, many for their entire lives, days away from the nearest other town, and 9,000 miles or 15,000 kilometers from their country's capital in London. But now, I'd like to introduce you to Brad.
1: Hi my name is... Bradley Brown. I I'm from Auckland, New Zealand, and I am um, I'm a Pitcairn Islander.
3: Brad represents part of the considerable number of ethnic Pitcairn Islanders who no longer live on Pitcairn. He's an outside insider. I talked to Brad while he was on Pitcairn. He's visited a few times just to see family and also see the island. This sort of visit by ethnic Pitcairners is something that the Pitcairn government is actively encouraging.
1: They're really working hard to encourage um, people like myself back, back to Pitcairn Island. You know that have, have family ties and um, that, that sort of understand the island, and, um, have grown up with it, with it around them, but um, have never really spent much time here. They're, they're trying to really encourage them and back to lend a hand and experience what it's like.
3: We'll get into this more later, but something the island needs is numbers and even these short, few month visits like Brad is doing helps with that. So now you have a spatial understanding of where Pitcairn is and what its outline looks like but what's actually on Pitcairn?
1: You've got Bounty Bay which I think they also call the landing, so yeah, it's where the long boats are stored, pretty much all the boats are stored there, um, fishing boats and everything. That's where you come ashore and then you head up the hill of difficulty which is a steep hill which um, lead you into Adamstown.
3: Adamstown is the capital city of the Pitcairn Islands, which also makes it the third least populous capital city in the world.
1: Adamstown is where most people have their houses. Probably 90% of the houses are in Adamstown.
3: The houses make up many of the 75 buildings on Pitcairn. Adamstown is where all the public services are. There's a post office, for example, and it only costs £1.10 to send a letter from London to there, but if you look it up on the Royal Mail website, it says they, quote, aim to deliver within 84 days. There's also a government building, a courthouse, a prison, and right next door to those is a church. There's a health centre staffed by a real doctor, but there's really only so much they can do in the middle of the ocean. There's a school with two swings, a small merry-go-round, and a spectacular ocean view. There's a pizza shop, Andy's Pizzeria, that according to Google Maps is open once a week on Fridays from 5.30 to 7pm, but I'm told those hours might be more of a loose guideline.
1: It's just at his house. Yeah, he makes really good pizza. He's got a professional pizza oven and everything. Yeah, you put your order in and he'll, he'll make it.
3: It's more of an on-demand pizza producer with occasional limited opening hours. That, in fact, is how most businesses work on Pitcairn.
1: There's not, not a lot of point um, having something open all the time if people aren't going to use it, you know.
3: There are a decent number of businesses, certainly a higher proportion per person than you'd have in a big city. They're just very limited in their opening hours. There's even a pub on Pitcairn. It is technically the UK, after all. It's called the Whale Tooth Tavern and it's also supposedly open once a week on Fridays from 5 to 10.30pm but it's really just a room in one couple's house. This once again is how many Pitcairn businesses are—rooms in people's houses. They seem to emulate small town life well in this tiny, isolated island town. There's also a general store with another spectacular view. The general store is so crucial, believe it or not, that it's run as a government department. This store is where almost everyone gets their food, so it's the business with the longest opening hours on the island.
1: It's open Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays, uh, just in the mornings, so if you, if you require any, any sort of food, products, that, that, that store is there to be used.
3: All the products are shipped in from New Zealand four times a year on the Bravo supporter. As you can imagine, the good stuff goes fast, and if you want truly fresh food, you've got to grow it on Pitcairn. Just behind the general store are three diesel generators. They power the island, but they're only switched on for 5 hours in the morning and 5 in the evening since it is, of course, expensive to get diesel to the island. Sprinkled in between everything mentioned so far are the homes of the island's 50 residents. Some right in downtown Adamstown, some a little further out. These homes are spacious, but not luxurious. There's just one paved road from the landing to the town center, while the rest of the island is interlinked by dirt roads. Pitcairn Islanders mostly zip around on ATVs or just walk. It's not a very big place. The island is quite mountainous and its coasts are defined by steep cliffs. If you look at a map of Pitcairn, you'll notice that various points along the coast are named things like Nelly Fall or Robert Fall or Where Dick Fall. You can probably figure out what happened there many years ago. There are no sandy beaches or anything like that, but it really looks like what you'd imagine a tropical island paradise would look like. The warmest it's ever been on Pitcairn in recorded history is 92 degrees Fahrenheit or 33 degrees Celsius. The coldest it's ever been is 57 Fahrenheit or 14 Celsius. Most every day, no matter the season, it's just warm and nice. Never really hot. You've probably, at this point, now formulated some mental image of Pitcairn, and that's good. We're going to be talking a lot about this one tiny place. So just close your eyes, assuming you're not driving, and imagine you're at the general store with a spectacular view in front of the three generators that are on 10 hours per day on the one paved road. Follow that road downhill. You'll pass one house on the left, and then another one, and then another with a sign outside for Christian's Cafe. There's a fork in the road there, so just take the left as the road becomes steeper. Keep continuing downhill. At the next fork, take a left. The road will curve a bit to the right, then to the left, then sharply again to the left, and then you've arrived back at the landing. Looking straight out, the closest bit of land is Panama, the country, but a little closer, a few hundred feet offshore, just below the glistening, choppy South
2: Pacific waters, are the remains of a boat, the HMS Bounty. Some of episode one of Extremities called Arrival on Pitcairn. And there's more episodes out looking at stuff like the island's history and, of course, the Bounty Mutiny and its unique constitutional arrangements. And Extremities is written and produced by PJ Scott Blankenship and Sam Denby and is edited by Eric Schneider for Wendover Productions. You're listening to the Podcast Hour on RNZ National. Children's screen time is a delicate topic in many households, like how much is too much, are some screen-based activities better than others, and how can parents make sure they stick to the rules themselves and don't end up looking like total hypocrites? The ABC's Parental As Anything tries to find some helpful tips and solutions to everyday parenting dilemmas. And with research suggesting that children in Australia are spending one-third of every day in front of a screen, the show's host, parenting educator Maggie Dent, asks Dr Christy Goodwin to tackle some of the challenges of raising kids in the digital age.
4: These technologies... Uh, it's important to note have all been designed in many instances by psychologists and neuroscientists to make them addictive they appeal to our psychological vulnerabilities and one of our human vulnerabilities is our need for reward you know we crave that um so yes i think we are becoming conditioned to that and conditioning young kids to that you know we see it even with adolescents you know who are a, infatuated with social media, they're conditioned on that external praise and likes. We've got adolescent girls who will delete pictures before they've had a sufficient number of likes within a certain period of time. We know that our kids kind of more and more
10: are exposed earlier because they copy us, let's be true. And I'd, I'd love you to share your story about your... Your son and <laughs> your phone. Because I thought that was really beautiful because we might think I haven't taught them, so they shouldn't actually know how to get into my phone and do stuff. So, can
4: yes. you tell me that? I so, love that. Story. Uh, so, I have a, a what I discovered was a very tech savvy four year old son, <laughs> uh, Billy. I went to the bathroom, and I will say it was a very quick toilet break. Um, and in the space of me going to the bathroom, I came back out, and Billy had unlocked my phone, had asked Siri to change my Apple ID from Christy Goodwin um, and change my Google ID to another name. And the name that he had selected, that he felt was appropriate, um, was Stinky Bum Bum. Uh, rather humiliating when you reply to an email from a journalist about kids and screen time, and your profile comes up as Stinky Bum Bum. <laughs> So I'm not perfect at this, but kids are tech savvy, and this is why it's also equally part scary. You know, they can stumble across inappropriate content. They can be approached by predators, and our kids are very vulnerable and trusting in many instances. So I often say to parents, "You've got kids that can't wipe their bottom yet, but can download two hundred and fifty dollars in in-app purchases on an app." So, yeah, scary stuff. Okay, that's so an accident, by the way. <laughs> <laughs>
10: I love that a hot button issue that you and I have spoken about a lot which just makes my heart ache sometimes and that is that is pornography mm. and um, in our world today we know it's children don't even have to go looking for it that it finds them. I know just automatically every single parent out there just went cringed and I just went, oh, my gosh, he's not going there. Yeah, we are going there. Yep. We're going there because we are looking at one of the issues that will impact your child not to be a healthy adult in an yep. intimate relationship. Talk to us a little bit about what you would advise for today's
4: parents. One of the biggest things is, um, and it seems like such a counterintuitive thing for many parents to do, is to where we can, and I don't like shooting on parents, but I think we need to avoid using screen time as a punishment tool. Because if there's a threat that you're going to confiscate the iPad, you're going to ban the gaming console they will never come to us if they have been exposed to something inappropriate, particularly pornography, because they think that our reaction will be digital amputation. So really important where we can not to use it as a punishment tool. Um, You know, the research on punishment is a topic in and of itself, but we know punishment doesn't work long-term. It makes you as a parent feel good because you've dealt with the situation. So avoiding using screen time as a punishment tool. Um, We need to be keeping technology in publicly accessible spots Um, it is very unlikely that your son is going to be downloading <laughs> pornography sitting next to you on the lounge. Or your daughter
10: taking photographs Nudies. In, the, uh, yes. in the
4: lounge room. Yes. So really minimum, you know, being mindful of where the technology is. A really important thing that parents must do, and I don't mind what product they use, but installing internet filtering software on every internet connected device, that your child has access to. And one of the often overlooked technologies where we know many kids are actually stumbling on or deliberately accessing pornography, it's the smart TV, the internet-connected TV that we often forget oh, to put no. the, the net nanny software on. So using a program to prevent or to minimise the chances. Now, I'm very realistic. You, you must install that internet filtering software, but it does not mean your child won't be exposed to it. They can sit next to a friend on the bus, go to a friend's house for a play date or a sleepover. So we need to be having ongoing conversations with our kids. And I actually believe we need to start these conversations from around six years of age. We talk to them in age appropriate ways. We don't have to use the word pornography, we certainly don't need to show them. I've had parents ask me what examples we show. We don't show them examples, but we start just very incidentally talking about public and private photos and public and private videos and we reassure our kids, again, they're not going to get in trouble if they come to us, if they've seen some of it. But this is a huge issue and the problem is no one's talking to our kids. I I, I hear lots of young people actually tell me it's harder to avoid pornography than it is to find it now which is just makes you realise, you know, how prolific this is. This is a really
10: big one and I want parents to be brave. How do we have these conversations with our kids collectively so that what we're doing is actually doing with our children rather than doing
4: to our children? Absolutely critical. So we often talk about the fancy word is co-viewing or joint media engagement, but it basically means using technology with your kids. Even though you may not want to spend hours playing Fortnite, occasionally, every now and then, your child will love to show you, teach you a thing or two, using it with them. You know, occasionally when, if your child has access to a smartphone and social media, sitting down and doing a screen audit with them. I'm not talking about sneaking into their bedroom whilst they're asleep or whilst they're at school and scrolling their device, but going through it with them and having incidental conversations. You know, what do you think that person mm. suggested when they posted that or wrote that it's about us coming up and with strategies and ways to use technology together, um, not having it, you know, as discrete little units in bedrooms. And that's easy to do, you know, given that we've got these mobile devices. So using it together, using it in a functional way, you know, a simple strategy I say to parents because parents often say I feel guilty because I'm on my phone and often I'm using it to do the lunch order, to reply to a text message, to organise the play date for somebody. So a strategy that works well for parents and it also keeps you accountable as a parent so you can't sort of sneak off down the Instagram rabbit hole is articulating, verbalising, I'm just using my phone to reply to a text message. I'm just looking up where I can order you a pair of board shorts um, so that kids can start to see that you are using it. Many kids think that their parents are sitting there mindlessly scrolling social media Mm -hmm. when in actual fact they are, you know, doing something purposeful and functional. I was um,
10: on a train station a few weeks ago and I was waiting for a train and the whole platform Mm. Always looking at their screen, and straight over in front of us were these beautiful birds doing some amazing things. And then a few butterflies flew past, and I looked around and thought, "Whoa, absolutely not!" One of you saw that yeah. moment of awe and wonder. And I think as grown-ups, don't just sit there feeling guilty. Just it's something that incrementally creeps up on all of us, and that we just once again um, our boundaries. Uh, are things that we can tighten at different times, but we need to do it as a family.
4: Yes, I have so many parents say, I wish I'd got on top of this early. So I say to parents, start thinking about technology the minute you hand your toddler your smartphone. This is when you start firm, consistent boundaries. Boundaries around not only what your child can do, but also personal boundaries around your use. With parents, particularly newbies, thinking very critically about what we post, there's this phenomenon called sharenting. You are curating your child's digital DNA with every photograph, every Instagram post, every video that you take. So just um, have boundaries, don't allow it to control your life. And I think so many of us, because technology is mobile now, the boundaries between work and home life have become blurred. You know, we can be watching our little one do ballet practice or soccer and dealing with a crisis in the office, but we're missing being in in the moment. So being a good role model, we really want our kids to develop a healthy relationship with technology and to see it as something that serves a purpose and is functional. Oh,
10: just love it. I love it. So, Dr. Christy Goodman, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. Um, And we will let you get back to your beautiful little (laughs) eight-week-old baby who I'm hoping your mum's done a great job with. And thank you for being able to show us exactly what the science is telling us, but from a real practical space as a mum who's in the digital trenches.
2: Digital well-being expert, Dr. Christy Goodwin, speaking to the host of the ABC's Parental as Anything, Maggie Dent. And the show's produced by Kim Lester with sound engineering from Anne-Marie de Betancourt and production support from Jane Curtis. Robert Monroe emailed us at pods at rnz.co.nz to tell me about his favourite podcast, the Misho Mission. The show's name comes from the pioneering African-American filmmaker Oscar Michaud. And in it, hosts Len Webb and Vince Williams are on a mission to watch and review every single black film ever made. They're funny and friendly and inclusive. And if you haven't seen a lot of these films before, well, all the better. Starting with the 1974 film Uptown Saturday Night, they've so far made 164 pit stops at mainstream hits like The Colour Purple, Candyman and Purple Rain, as well as many titles that won't be so familiar. Neglected movies the hosts are rediscovering for a modern audience. The 1991 independent film Daughters of the Dust falls firmly into this latter category. Written, directed and produced by Julie Dash, it's set on an island off the coast of South Carolina in 1902. And according to Lennon Vince, it's well overdue for a reappraisal. It's like
11: the greatest thing that the cinematographer did is almost get out of the way. Right. Like, this is what this is. And, and you know, it's the striking image. You know, it's like the sand is white they're all wearing white. You know, this is a cast that is ninety percent very brown.
5: Mm-hmm.
11: So it's like the contrast. Yeah, is 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 you, you know you keep using these words. It's it's lyrical. It's it's musical. It's you, you know it's it's magical. It and it's it's like it's, it's ethereal. Like, it's ethereal. And you know, I don't like to speak in definitives because you know I've I've only seen what I've seen. I've never seen anything like this. Like, I've seen things that take from this. Like we right. mentioned, there are moments in Queen Sugar. Right. You know, uh, especially with... Um, Julie Dash doing some of the with Nova, with the character Nova. Yes, yes. That, yes. that you you know, I can, I can see kind of parallel. As you mentioned, Eve's Bayou. Like, there are whole stretches of Eve's Bayou that, you know, have similarities with this. You mm-hmm. know, you talk about the color purple. talk about, you know, even Beloved. Oh, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, but yeah. this, it, this is like, it, it is, it's like nothing I've never, I've ever seen. And it's something that watching it this afternoon, 20 some odd years after I saw it for the first time, I sat in my living room and I thought, this is still like nothing I've ever seen. Yeah, And it's, 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 it's an, it's an amazing film. It, it really is this remarkable masterpiece. And, you know, it's sort of like, um, you, we were just talking about it at, at school days where I said, I've I've never given the, the Oscars any credence after what they did to do the right thing. And, and you know, and do the right thing was never even nominated for anything. Um, the fact that this is a film that that in many ways was almost lost. Right. You, you know, it's like the, the biggest conversations that we've had about this film in the past year. And, and kudos to her for speaking about it was you know Beyonce talks about this is one of her inspirations for some of the visuals mm-hmm. for Lemonade mm-hmm. and you know and suddenly where everyone was having a Julie Dash conversation all of them but the fact that it took Beyonce to get people's eyes on Daughters of the Dust is 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 criminal and you know a little embarrassing like I feel like people who are film people should be embarrassed that there's a whole generation that didn't know about daughters of the dust and aren't continually reintroduced right. to this film and that this isn't the first film in a long career for Julie dash. I know.
5: So I know. that, is, that it, it's criminal. I mean, this is her film.
11: Yeah. And then she's been very for- forthright about the fact that she thinks that because this film is so unapologetic and it's so black that, she didn't get work, mm-hmm. you know. She didn't get work, and and it is it's it's a shame. It's it's a crime. It is a crime, especially when you consider that
5: uh, in since 1991, there have certainly been roads in which people could have reached back to her, right, right, and said, "You hey, let's do something. Let's make something happen."
11: Right. You know right.
5: what I mean? Uh, Ava DuVernay. God bless her. Hopefully this is the first uh, uh, of, the, of the reemerging of the
11: reemergence
5: of uh, Julie Dash. So, you know, what makes this film, We, we I, I kind of like, you know, said it like this film is like considered one of the essentials of black cinema. Uh,
11: I think it's a singular vision. I think it's a singular vision. I, I mm-hmm. think, you know, I've said it several times. I've never seen anything like this. Right, you know, I I think this is something that represents an aspect of African American life that we very rarely see like this. Mm-hmm. I think um, it is a film that, and we've mentioned this throughout this episode, is is it, it has inspired people, right? So that you know, if you like certain things, you sh- I always feel like you should go to the source material, right? And in in a lot of ways, this is ground zero for a lot of filmmakers and a lot of images and a lot of work that we all love. And, you know, like I I absolutely, you know, we talked about, I think Eve's Bayou is is one of the greatest films ever made. Like like Eve's Bayou is maybe my second or third favorite film, Mm -hmm. but there's so much that, you know, I'm not going to say Cassie Lemons stole from this or took from this, but there it's coming from the same space you see the footsteps and and you know neve's bayou is 97 this is 91 Mm -hmm. and i'm sure you know i've never read cassie lemon say that you know oh i saw daughters of the dust but you know of course she did right right right. so you know and it's just damn good yeah like it's just like it's one of those things it's one of these films that make you remember why you love films like like why films kind of Touchy, you know, and and, and you, you know, since it's reemergence for its anniversary, and you know, they they were screening. Like I was so sad that none of the screenings
5: were here. We're
11: here in Philadelphia yeah. because I do think seeing this on the big screen is is quite the experience. Oh yeah, man, with these wide vistas. Yeah. In this so movie, yeah, so you know that's yeah. why I would say this is you know essential.
5: Yeah. I was I would say I think that it, the like you say the singular vision the the imagery and despite it being actors this <laughs> I think there's a reason why the the National Film Registry consider this film like you know one of the one of the one of the essentials and right, preserving right, right. this film because this film in 1991 is almost a time capsule to 1902
11: How about that?
5: That's just how on point it is. Yeah. you know, without too many of the trappings of that town, there's you don't see a city at all. No. You know, you don't um I think the the, the closest to modern times that you see is Tommy Hicks with his camera. Yeah. You know. Um yet it is, it it evokes that you are you're right in that moment. So, I think that definitely makes this um an essential of black cinema, and this is a film that is worthy to be screened in elementary schools, in yeah. high schools, yeah. in colleges, in universities, and film schools, and master classes. Um, there is so much that people, historians, and filmmakers, and, and linguists um, yeah. can learn and pull from this film, and especially filmmakers, because a lot of people, we we did soul food, and a lot of people herald soul food because, you know, there's this big scene where you got this big orgasm of food on the yeah. table. Yeah. Man, there's a scene in this movie man, when everybody gets... I have never seeing a scene that made me so hungry. Yeah, that made me just want to. I want. Can I have some? Where's my plate? Yeah, because because it, it, it looks so good. Yeah, it, it 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 that was the way to film. Yeah, and you don't even see people eating. Yeah, all you see is the plates and right. them loading their plates, and
11: and you get the wonderful sound of, of the, the of, of the forks, forks. kind of clicking. Yeah, in the place. Yeah, oh my, it's a fantastic scene. They
5: take <laughs> it's the, one
11: of the more famous scenes from. Yeah, they take the top off of a pie like mm. the top
5: of the, the yeah. lid off a pot and then there's a pie like, I don't even like pie I was like oh my god yeah mm. yeah it's a bad movie man Daughters of the Dust
11: Daughters of the Dust Daughters of is the Dust. a thing and-, and you know what's crazy you know what is insane here we are living in the future it's on Netflix streaming it's straight up on netflix everyone listening to this right now just pull up your netflix app that's right it's right there on netflix it's right there
5: sit down enjoy yourself yeah. some daughters of the dust which is
11: which is crazy because for years years it was not available you couldn't find it it wasn't no, available it wasn't available, for available. years
5: and, and and just last month it was featured on Turner classic movies, right? And now it's up on Netflix. Yeah, and who's to say how long it's going to be on Netflix? So get in there. Yeah, absolutely. Get in in there and and check it out. Um, Yeah, you you will not. It's a it's a it's a leech. It's a slow burn, but you will be mesmerized. Give
11: yourself to it. Yeah, you have to give yourself to it. Give
5: it over to it. Yeah, give, give yourself some some nice wine, nice atmosphere, and and sit down with your family. Yeah. And watch this film. I don't think there's, you know, maybe, you know, got to be maybe a little bit of 13 because some of the issues that they speak of. But this good stuff. Yeah.
11: This is really good stuff. So we are, of course, recommending
5: it. (laughs) I'm recommending the (laughs) hell out of this movie, man.
11: This movie was really, really something. All right. Thank you, Vince. Hey, man. Thank you. Yeah. Someone, someone. I mean, we were going to do Daughters of the Dust, but someone asked for Daughters of the Dust a while ago. A while ago. A while yeah. ago, and we said we wanted to sell. I'm glad we got to it.
2: I'm glad we did, too. I'm glad we got to it. And yes, I checked, and Daughters of the Dust is available on Netflix here, too. Some of the Micho Mission episode about the film Daughters of the Dust, hosted by Len Webb and Vince Williams in Philadelphia. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast now from RNZ. If you're enjoying the show and it's helping you find new stuff to listen to, then please tell other people about us. Maybe mention it to a friend or a family member. And do please rate and review us on Apple or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast from. Not only does this help other people find us, but it also lets me know if I'm on the right track with the number of clips. Do you want some fewer stories, longer interviews? Just let me know about it. And I'm also really interested in finding out how people want me to podcast and publish stuff online. Other I might release the whole show in one chunk and also in shorter slices of individual shows too. But if this is just a pain and it's easier to just get everything in one program, you don't have to fiddle around with and curate, just say the word and it shall be done. Thank you.
6: Botox Cosmetic, auto Botulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you.